On the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. It has since been taken offline by Open Stories, but you can now find an archive of all 15 episodes on chrisway.com O-T-O-S or on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. On the Other Side was a podcast project dedicated to discussing religious, post-religious, and religion-adjacent issues from a distinctly millennial perspective. And welcome back to On the Other Side, Millennials and Religion. We're so excited to have you tuning in. This is your host, Blake Wright. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Kendra Cower. And she, I'm just going to let her introduce herself. She's quite the life experience. And I'm super excited to get to talk to her today. So Kendra, why don't you tell us who you are and just a little bit about yourself before we get started. Perfect. So hi, I'm Kendra. (laughs) I'm super excited to be here. So I grew up in Idaho on a small farm and moved to Utah about six years ago. Um, Last year, I was Ms. Utah and my platform was Healing Abused Women. So I helped a lot of abused women that year. It was amazing. And this year, I am the current Ms. Global U.S. and, And I have a platform of every teen scene. So that's what I'm working on this year. And I'm just grateful to be here. So thanks for inviting me, Blake. Excellent. So if you guys caught that, she's like... Miss Utah, Miss Globe, Miss Everything. And she's going to talk to us about her experience um, going through the pageantry system and maybe a little bit about growing up in the church and how that affected her. And um, and I'd like to dive real deep into this Every Teen Scene movement. That's how um, <clears throat> I got to know her. Oh, well, I guess I knew you before that, but how I got to know her stance on some things. And so I'm pretty excited. So let's um, let's start at the beginning. You said you, you grew up in Idaho? Yes. I did not Rexburg. know that. Yeah, I grew up in Rexburg. Rexburg. It's like 99% Mormon. <laughs> Ew, yeah, but they're all students there. How was that being a baby there? <laughs> well, so there's it's about 30,000 students when I was there and then about 30,000 in the town. So it was pretty equal. I mean, when the students left, we had a lot more room. <laughs> oh, really? Because my best friend went up there and I'd go up and visit him and I'd be like, oh, wait, you're not a student? Oh, you're not really from here then probably. I get it. Yeah, that's that's what everyone asked me. Like, but you're from there, or you went to school there? So yeah. So did you like growing up there? I loved it. It was I. I mean, it was a little cold. Didn't like that. But other than that, I had the best friends growing up, and I didn't know anything else, honestly. So I loved having all LDS friends. Um, we all had the same values. It was super easy, super fun. Never got into any trouble. A little big trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> I loved it. It was good. Did you ever make it up to the, um, it's like an ice cave? Yes, those are fun. <laughs> How cool is that? So um, for the listeners, there's this like, it's an underground cave. I guess all caves go underground. or, But um, there's a river in it that is frozen. So you just like lay on your back sometimes and just scoot yourself along using the roof of it until you get to like a magical cave in the end that's got to be <laughs> yeah, like carved by the gods or something like that <laughs> yes yeah cool and then um so you said you moved here like six years ago yeah so i moved to utah six years ago um that was my 
Well, I so I served a mission for the LDS Church. Oh, where'd you go? After, where'd you go? I went to New Mexico. I loved it. I yeah, tell us the, about that. It was amazing. I it was funny because growing up um, in that culture, I didn't really think about it, but um, I decided to go and always got the comment like you're too pretty to serve a mission. Cause this was before girls went. And I was like, well, that's rude. <laughs> like, pretty <laughs> yeah, that's the nicest insult thing. you could give somebody. Like this, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I loved it. It was seriously one of the best times of my life. So yeah, it was the best time of my life. I have, I met the most amazing people and people that I still call family to this day. So I, I visit all the time. I talk to them all the time and I'm so grateful for that experience. So I went back to Idaho for like a month um, or so, and then moved out to Utah. So that's where I've been since. Okay. So um, tell us, tell us um, about your mission. Like give us a, an experience or two about your mission and how that was for you. Okay. So the, my mission was the first time I was introduced to other religions because <laughs> I didn't have oh, any growing up. Interesting. So I, yeah. So I went, I like, we did this, there's this thing missionaries do where they're like, well, if you go to my church, I'll go to yours. So we would go to <laughs> the Catholic church. If they'd come to ours, um, we'd go to non-denominational churches. That's my mission is where I fell in love with Christian rock music. And it made me see God in a whole different way. So um, our entire mission listened to Christian rock music pretty much. And it was amazing. I met so many different cultures. The Navajo culture is so close to my heart and their beliefs, um, we're so close to the eldest religion in so many things. And it always made me really curious. So when I came back, um, I decided to keep like looking around and seeing what other religions be, because I love learning about what people believe. It's so inspiring to me and learning their culture. Um, so currently I'm working on a world religion blog where I visit a different religion all the time and just experience how they believe things and what they believe. And it's been the most beautiful experience. I've met the most amazing people. Um, and yeah, it was amazing on my mission to bring people just to an awareness of God. I remember meeting a kid on the streets, a little Navajo boy, I think he was like 14. And I asked him um, what he believed about God or how he'd seen God in his life. And he was like, I don't know what you mean. Like, I've never felt him. And I was like, what? How that must, I don't even know what that feels like. That's, that has to be awful. So it just made me appreciate my knowledge growing up of God. Um, so I grew up in a very strict LDS family, like no caffeine, very careful with movies, no, nothing on the Sabbath day, you know, the typical LDS culture. And yeah, so no was, caffeine. How's your family handling that now that BYU sells <laughs> caffeinated drinks? Well, it's funny because I almost screenshotted the picture and sent to my mom, but I was like, that's rude. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. Um, most of my siblings have served missions and we all come back drinking caffeine. And my mom was like, well, why, why is it that all my kids come back drinking caffeine? I was like, cause it's not that, yeah. <laughs> but it's just those like, um, beliefs that I had to find out for myself, things that I taught or that I was taught that weren't really true, you know? So it was an interesting shift of my life trying to figure out exactly what the core of my beliefs were. Yeah. So what, what sort of things were you taught that weren't true? Like the caffeine thing or, um, oh, yeah. okay. like I, like I grew up, like I felt like in a very, um, judgmental home, not accepting of other things. Um, so like, a, just very sheltered culture, I should say, like mm -hmm. we weren't allowed to wear bikinis, swimsuits. Like I, I remember I wasn't one allowed to wear wearing... bikinis either. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <it's> probably... 
but yeah, so I remember one time going home um, and being told like that I couldn't feel the spirit because I was wearing skinny jeans. And I was like, what? Like <laughs> just stuff like that, which I don't blame them at all because that's just what they believe, you know? So, but it was yeah. just interesting. Still, I wonder, I wonder, I often wonder when people say things like that, if they really believe like that their God or their Jesus or whatever their, their message is coming from really would be like, oh, I can't go proselyte or bring my message to her because have you seen her jeans? Mm -mm. (laughs) You know, like that just doesn't, this doesn't resonate with me very much at all. Um, But I heard you say something like uh, you, you, uh, you came to see God completely different than you saw him before on your mission, going to the Christian rock groups or whatever. Explain more about like what you saw God as before and maybe after. Okay. So growing up, I was always close to God. When I was like eight years old, I asked him to be my dad because my dad wasn't really there for me. Um, And so I've always been super close to God and he's always been my best friend. Like I never have had a problem with that. Um, But after the, when I started listening to Christian rock music and going to the non-denominational churches, they talked differently about him. They made him seem like he was your best friend and they talked to him like he was your best friend. And it made him more personal to me because of that. And the music especially made me see how it was so personal. Whereas before it was just kind of like a culture thing. You know, you go to church, you hear about God, like he's just this being where as my mind shifted into, wow, he's literally my father and my best friend and the one person in this world that I trust 100%. So it just became more personal is how my mind shifted. So kind of maybe uh, if I'm understanding correctly, a little bit less of like an authoritative figure and more like yeah. of a, a friend figure. Exactly. Yeah. And cool. And then um, I wanted to comment too. You said like the, the Navajo culture had so many like similarities between um, our, our culture like religiously? Yeah. So, and this is actually what I've noticed through every religion I've visited. They're all teaching the same principles. And I, and there's things that we teach in the temple that other religions are teaching. And I had no idea. I was so sheltered. So like one of the things I love about the Navajos, um, it was really cool being out there because I felt like I was reliving the Book of Mormon. There's like, well, I called the Gadianton robbers, but they're really called like something else there. But when they die, they go through three levels of death um, before they reach God. And I always found that interesting. Like, wow, you can tell that there was, um, you know, what how in the Book of Mormon Christ visited, um, but it just got lost a little bit. So, and they have all these, what they call them the medicine men, but they heal people. And I've watched them heal people. So it's it's just like, it's a spinoff of what we believe, but it's essentially the same thing. Huh. Yeah. And there's um there's a cool story too, and I it's been so long since I've heard this, and I'm sure some of the listeners are gonna be like, Oh, you got that all wrong. But um <laughs> when we when the saints settled in Utah, they they felt like the natives were Lamanites, which are uh for our listeners that don't know, the Lamanites are the, the tribe of um they come from a tri- the lost tribe of Jerusalem, um one of the lost tribes of Israel. They sailed over here from Jerusalem before it got destroyed. And that's where Native Americans come from. And we, the LDS church calls and Mormons in general call them Lamanites. And um, in the early days, it was really a, a big push to baptize the Lamanites because you're, they're like being born again. You know, they're the prodigal sons. They're the ones that got lost and now we're, they're being found again. And um, so we're baptizing them left and right. And 
we're kind of putting them through this temple ordinances, but we're doing it so fast that we're not really spending time teaching them exactly what it does. Um, so one of the big takeaways from it they got was um, that they could wear these special clothes that would protect them against, you know, uh, enemies, foreign or abroad or whatever. And so um, there's a story about the United States coming out to disperse uh, a gathering of tribes and one of the tribes wouldn't leave. And they said, you better leave or we're going to, you know, open fire. And they said, you can't hurt us. We've got these, you know, special clothes. And so they did. They stayed there and they ended up getting uh, getting killed because they wouldn't, wouldn't disperse uh, because they had these special clothes that they felt like would protect them. And unfortunately, in that case, didn't didn't protect them like they thought it would. But that's just one one kind of interesting culture migration that the Mormons had a little bit of influence on, I think. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. When I was out there, we served a lot on the reservations and we'd knock on so many trailers. I had no electricity, no water. It was like a third world country. And they'd be like, oh yeah, I was baptized Mormon. I did that little program you guys had us do when we were eight. And there was like a list of 6,000 members in one ward, but none of them went. <laughs> so yeah. it was interesting. I think a lot of people refer to those like baseball baptisms where they say like, hey guys, you want to come play baseball? And they're like, Yeah. And then they're like, okay, but first you have to do a couple things, including getting dunked in this tank here. Is that cool? Um, okay. I better ask my parents. Well, what are your parents' names? We'll just write those down too. You know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. They so they got quite a few that are on the books there. But um, okay, so you went on your mission. You loved every second of that, mm-hmm. and um, so you came home. And then that's when you decided to move to Utah, or yeah. So I decided to move to Utah. I went to hair school here. Um, finished that up. I was uh, married for a few months, got divorced, and and started my journey of identity. And so, what 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 uh, made you decide to move to Utah? Originally, hair school, um, because okay. I yeah, that was the main reason. They didn't have good hair schools in Rexburg. That makes they, perfect sense to me. <laughs> they did, but it, I would have had to go into $25,000 of debt. And I was like, I don't really think this career is worth that. So I, Ugh. the school I went to here paid me at the end. So I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. And so do you do hair, hair now or? I do for friends and stuff. I don't do it full time though. Okay. And then you said you got married. So I think um, that's news to me. We need to dive in. How'd you meet? <laughs> what What happened there? Oh, if, if you're comfortable talking about it. Oh, yeah. I talk about this all the time. So I okay. met him at church, and um, he was in police academy. And I have family members who are policemen, so he asked me out. And I was like, I will never date you. I don't date policemen. And eventually, Smart. yeah. Well, except I'm there wasn't because I did. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I was honestly really lost after my mission. I... I didn't know who I was coming home and I felt like I'd lost all my purpose. And pretty soon after that, I met him and because of my lost identity, I chose into a relationship that was abusive and, and I never believed I was good enough to get out of it. And there's a lot of manipulation and stuff, but I married him in the temple five months later and got divorced and got my ceiling canceled about a couple months later. That's too bad. Um, so you, you said you lost your identity. What, um, you think, yeah. cause you had so much purpose and drive on the mission. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So on the mission, you have a schedule. It's from 6am to like 10pm. You know, you're all throughout the day. You're all you're doing is helping people. That's your main focus. And when I came back, I had to worry about everything else besides that, about besides helping people. And 
Um, I didn't know who I was growing up and I found my identity on my mission in that. And then mm-hmm. coming home, I didn't have that anymore. So I was back to the girl I was before. So. Okay. And so you just felt like um, you found a sense of purpose with that, uh, that relationship you found and turned out it wasn't what you thought it was in the beginning. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had all the signs and I knew and God told me not to marry him, but I did anyway, (laughs) but it was actually ended up being the most perfect thing for me because I was at my breaking point. I was at my weakest. I had been so beaten down that at one point, like I was suicidal because I literally, I just prayed to God. It wasn't that I was trying to kill myself, but I prayed all the time. Like, God, please just let me come home to you. Like, I don't want to, I can't feel this pain anymore. Um, and that was my constant prayer was for him to just take me. And I'm so glad he didn't listen to me because it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because, um, right after that, I started doing videos on Facebook, um, about what I'd learned and finding my identity. Cause I went through a course and I did a course where I, for the first time in my my life, they taught me to believe that I was good enough. And when I finally believed that in my mind, I stepped out of my relationship and started changing my life around. And I started helping women. I went back and helped abuse women through the same program I had gone through. And that's when my what program is that for uh, anybody who might need that? It's called It's My Outlook. Um, the program I went through is called Power 90s and Sandy. And it's amazing. It teaches you how to change your um, results in your life by changing your thoughts about yourself and your world. So, and I didn't even know that was possible. I literally grew up didn't thinking that I couldn't control my thoughts. And after this experience, I realized that I can, and I get to, because of my thoughts, I curate every single experience I have in my life. So it was life changing. And, um, my director found me on Facebook because I was doing all these videos and that's when I, she asked me to do the competition and then I became Miss Utah and then yeah, everything forward. <laughs> so. so the, sorry, who was it that asked you to do the competition? My, uh, the director of the pageant found me on Facebook through my videos. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, and she just thought like, okay, here's a cute girl that can really spread a powerful message. Yeah. So she just reached out to you. And, yep. and then, so what was the, what was that like? What was like, cause I, for somebody like me, I'm, I'm thinking like you have to like walk down these aisles in bikinis and strut your stuff. What What is it really like? It was like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it was awful. Hey, got it. I was up on, okay, good. we were, we had nationals in Vegas and I did my bikini walk, my little turns and everything, but I did it so fast because I was so self-conscious and my director texts me and she's like, you need to slow down. I was like, nope, I'm out of here. Like, it was a very, I've never, and especially coming from where I came from LDS wise, I like seriously thought that I would be disowned for wearing a bikini on stage. And I went and talked to my Yeah, how was it. that reaction? It was so funny, Blake. So I, I'm sitting in the bathroom bawling. I'm about ready to go on stage and saying a prayer like God, you gave me the family I have and they suck and that's okay because it makes me have you, but you've got to step it up again and be there for me because I don't have anyone else. And that sounds really harsh, but that's literally the, the way I felt at the time. And mm-hmm. so I, I got up on stage, did my thing. My mom was watching um, and I got done and I didn't ever hear from her. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> this is going to be so bad. <laughs> and so I texted her and I said, did you watch? And I just, the one word response was yes back. And I was like, 
okay, <laughs> I'm not going to push this, you know? So I just said, I just left it kind of, and it was pretty hurtful, but, um, I, I knew that God had given me this opportunity to help women and I wasn't going to pass it up just because I felt like I shouldn't wear a bikini because that's what I was taught, you know? So, yeah. and I had a great Bishop who helped me at the time. He was, he was very supportive of it. And he's like, no, this is what you're meant to do. Like, it, it doesn't matter. This is what they do in sports and competitions is you show up in what they want you to wear. <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and how did you justify that? Like, um, did you believe that maybe that was something that was maybe just okay as long as it was competitions? Or did you feel like, well, it's my body. I'll do with it what I want. What, how did you no, internalize I was, that? I was honestly completely torn. I, I, there was this part of me, like you have, I had all these messages coming in, like, thanks for being modest. Cause during the week I would dress with my garments, but they, you're not allowed to wear your garments in the competition because it shows lines everywhere, obviously. <laughs> um, so I didn't, but I had some friends say to me like, well, you need to pick a more modest dress. You need to like, you can wear a one piece. And I was like, you know what? Like I talked to my bishop about this and he says, it's okay. And so I'm just going to follow my heart on this, even though I'm completely torn because I'm getting all this feedback from the LDS, the culture here. But, um, I just, it was a good point for me to, you know, just do what wasn't instinctively taught in me and just see how it felt. Mm -hmm. And thank heavens you had that good Bishop. Cause if he, if he had said no, would you had listened to your heart anyways, or maybe followed his advice? Um, you know, I always follow my heart in the end. So like, I think it would have been a lot harder for me if he wouldn't have been, but one of the family members, I call him dad. I taught him on the mission and um, I called him and he said he was so supportive and that's, they've been so supportive throughout for me throughout my entire life. And so um, just, you know, one, one person support, like helped me in that moment. But in the end, I honestly think I would have done anyway, because I'm not one to like, listen to other people just because they're saying something so but it does help you know when you're trying to make a decision that you feel is right and having someone validate that is very helpful <laughs> yeah I think that's that's a line that I've struggled with before and I think a lot of people can relate is like um it's it's fine and dandy to say like well you shouldn't care what people think and just listen to your heart and you do you um you know but validation is important like regardless of how many people say that uh validation feels good and it sometimes can help confirm some of the biases you may have already. Like I feel really good about this and everybody else says, yeah, then, you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't really even step back to question it. But if you're like, oh, I don't know about this and everybody's like, do it anyway. Now all of a sudden you're <laughs> conflicted and that validation plays a lot more yeah. of a powerful role in your decision-making process, at least for me anyway. Oh, yeah. And I think, I honestly believe God speaks to me through people. So I'm very aware of that too, but I also know that they're human. So I always try to make sure that I'm aware of what space they're in. If they're coming from a love space, which is where God is, or if they're coming from a fear driven space. And those are the only two choices people make is from love or fear. So if they're in a love space, I'm, I know that it's more from God than from their fear human space, you know? Yeah. And I, um, I like to discuss agency a lot in these type of situations too. Uh, I majored in philosophy to my eternal dismay. And so I'm always getting too analytical, but one of my favorite stories I've heard was about um, Hinckley's nephew, I believe, Michael Hinckley. Boy, I'm going to get this wrong too. And now that I'm saying it out loud, but 
I believe it was Michael Hinckley, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley's, Gordon B. Hinckley's nephew. Um, he became the first president of the Salt Lake Institute at the University of Utah. And that's a, that's a church calling. And so, um, he was called and had to assign two counselors, first and second counselor. And he couldn't do it. He thought about it for like two weeks. He fasted and prayed and just couldn't, couldn't, uh, come up with who it was. And so finally he asks, uh, one of his friends, you know, what should I do? What should I do? I don't know what to do. And he says, well, why don't you call your uncle? Oh, that's a good idea. You know? So he calls up his uncle, Gordon Mahinkley said, Hey, I'm having a hard time. How did you pick your counselors? And the story goes that Gordon Mahinkley said, well, I just picked whoever I wanted to spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And his nephew says, well, uh, didn't you pray about it? And he says, why would I pray about that? Those are my counselors. You know, mm-hmm. God gave me the agency to choose them. Yeah. And so I think that's a powerful message to especially active believers to think like, okay, even though this is a big, important decision, it's my decision. I love you know I mean? that. Yeah. Cause we get so hung up on like, is this the right thing? And yeah. this life does not allow us to be perfect. It's impossible. So I, and I want to instill that in my children one day is to make sure that they know that their agency is 100% theirs. And I'm never going to take that away um, by telling them they have to believe things or have to do, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be that person because it's not beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. I like to hear that. So, um, so how did you, how many to, to, to become Miss Utah, how many times did you have to like walk down the aisle or didn't you do other stuff too? Or what yeah. was all involved in that? So you do an interview, which is where you meet with about four judges and you tell them your platform for the year and what you want to do with it. So my first platform was Healing Abused Women. So I was working with a group in Provo called Chainbreakers, which is an amazing group for women who are struggling to get out of abusive marriages. Um, and then you move on to um, like you do like an opening number where you dance around. <laughs> um, and then it's bikini and evening wear um, were the two ones I had to do. So you do that at the state level and then at the national level. And it was it was intense. When I got to that world, I, I was like, I want to be... Miss United States, because then I can help so many people. And when I got there, I was like, just kidding. I don't want to be part of this world. It was very um, competitive and I was just there to have fun and be people's friends. So I wasn't fit for it, but it was an an amazing experience. And I I can't even tell you, I know there's so many um, negative concepts about pageant girls, but honestly, I've met the most amazing women who are trying to help the world become a better place for and whatever they can do and that's why they do it and that's why they're there and I have lifelong friends because of these pageants so I've met the most amazing women I've ever known yeah and I think one unfortunate aspect of it is it's it's kind of um and I think it's changing but it's kind of like men's view of what the ideal woman should be mm-hmm. um and I, I mean I, I'm hoping that's changing especially I think last year the Miss America pageant got rid of the swimsuit part altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it empowers women because it gives them the platform, regardless of how they got there. It gives them a platform to speak about things like chain breakers, where they can bring awareness to an issue that's happening. And this one is specifically about oppressed women. Um, I think people, people don't understand how powerful Utah women specifically are because, um, we fought for the, we were the first state to have women vote. And then, um, they were given that basically to help them get out of polygamy. 
And a lot of the women in that era really enjoyed polygamy, so they voted to keep it. And so they're just ex exercising their power all over the place. And I think that really surprised a lot of people. And I think we still are surprising people today. Um, but maybe, maybe tell us a little bit more about this chain breakers. How did you get affiliated with them? Um, I, so the previous Mrs. Utah was the one who created it and I knew her son from church. And so I met with her and she told me about it and I started going and fell in love with these women and they're so, so that's, I hate to cut you ahead. off, but that's a perfect example of somebody using that platform that maybe they had to walk down an aisle in a bikini, yeah. but now they started a whole organization exactly. for helping people get out of abuse relationships. Exactly. So sorry, no, continue. You're good. And it's exactly what you said. She created a foundation where they can walk in and take any clothes they want and walk in and take any food they need. Like there's so many resources. I met so many people that were willing to give women security and, I can't even, this is like a beautiful thing. So yeah, exactly. She, it was worth the sacrifice of walking around the bikini on stage and being totally judged to create this foundation for women who just need, and I, I knew women there that would lie about where they were just so that they could go and find some peace for the week. You know, it was yeah. amazing. Well, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So you then, um, you, you pageant for Miss, Miss, uh, Utah, right. And then you win. Yeah. So I went and then where do you go from so there? I went to nationals in Vegas um, and I made top 10 there um, and then I was cut. And so that was really a good experience for me. Um, so we came home and most people think we get paid, but we do not get paid. It's all service. So I spent the next year um, focusing on my platform um, speaking at events. Um, and then when my title was over, I was like, I'm not doing another one. That was so much work. <laughs> um, but God told me I needed to do another one. And the day I handed my crown over, um, a lady walked up to me about another pageant. And I was like, no, <laughs> but I was, I loved it so much, but it took a lot out of me. And I was like, I just need a break. Um, but he, God kept telling me to do it again. I don't know why I didn't, well, I didn't know why at the time. Um, and that's when the global America director contacted me, um, because one of her queens had referred me and all this stuff. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at now. And that's when I, I, I wanted to do something as Ms. Utah, which was to get into schools. Because when I went to a few of the schools, the young girls there, I would speak to them about abuse. Because one in two women are abused. And I would speak to them about that. And they were like, well, we don't ever think about that. We just think about school lunch and the next dance. And it was then that I realized I needed to go younger to prevent the abuse of marriages from even happening. And so I decided to um, do the every teen scene thing and work with teens, which was, oh, it's a, the teens are amazing. They're the most beautiful, vulnerable, loving souls on the planet. <laughs> and so for those of us who don't know, what is, what is every teen scene? What is that? So it's a movement where we teach kids their identity and purpose and give them connection. So I'm working on a program right now um, where we can do it online for them so that they can have access to that. But it is to prevent teen suicide because um, the teen suicide rate in Utah is crazy high. Um, it's one of the highest in the nation and they're just beautiful souls. So we don't want to lose anymore. So, and I realized when I went through my own suicide moments that because I had lost my identity and I didn't have purpose, I had no connection. Um, I was at the point of just wanting to leave this earth. Um, 
but when I've met these kids, when they find purpose, like even just coming to our activities and they connect with other teens, um, they step away from that mindset of wanting to leave this planet because they have some purpose to live. And so it was really special to, and I've realized every one of their, every cause of suicide is because of a lost identity of someone who's lost who they are and why they're supposed to be here. Okay, so you found, how did you stumble upon Every Teen Scene? So my friend Nathan had started a group called Love True, and we were sitting in a room one day talking about what we could do for the teens, and we were just throwing around names, and um, literally, I don't remember who said it, but one of us just said it, and we are like, that is the perfect name. And so that's where it started, just like a little room at Harmon's where we're having a, a little business meeting. And so we made shirts for it and we made bracelets for it and held events like the roller skating when you came to. Um, and I started a group of teens um, that would create events for their peers that they wanted to do so that they could connect. And it was really cool. All the teens would get up and share their their personal suicide stories and how they could help other teens. And um, we got together with the Hope Squad guy in Utah. Um, I don't know if you know what Hope Squad is, but it's a program in Utah that's in schools where teens join. They join it as an extracurricular activity and they can go around their schools and share what's going on like, and prevent suicide by talking to people. So, Yeah, I think um, so that what tell us before I, I move on too far. What is the love true that you said Nathan was a part of? Well, that's a, a program he started. I don't think it's really running anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Well, that, uh, that ice skating event that I went to, I actually, that had to be like a year ago. Right. And I, I still have my bracelet on from that oh. event. Um, cause I like being able to tell people what, what that's about. Um, but we went to this, the, um, or I think I said ice skating. It was like rollerblading. Um, but they went, down to classic skating and there are some kids that uh have maybe been through some trauma in their life or or had some negative experience but they found each other and found skating and these guys are like breakdance yeah. skating and that's like their jam yeah. now and they're they're like super good doing all these things on roller skates that um hurt my hip just to watch them but <laughs> it was super cool to see them just going out and then people from that weren't affiliated were just there watching and chanting and hearing and, you know, cheering them on. And I think that's, um, like I said before, the validation of getting like, uh, there's a difference between going to a group of like trained professionals to help you through a crisis and having just random strangers chant your name about something you've exactly. succeeded at. So I think that was super cool. Yeah, for and that's what, so Bryce, the main guy um, over that skate group, he was suicidal and his grandma introduced him to that sport and he said, that's what saved him. And I was like, that is when, like, when you give kids a reason to live or like we do these art nights or whatever it was, like we, we did an every teen scene art night and it was the most beautiful thing to watch what they would paint. Some of it was really dark and some of it was really beautiful. And it was like them expressing their inner soul. But when they have, like you said, that purpose, something to look forward to and connection with these other teens, like it saves them literally. Yeah. And so um, this every teen scene thing, I just can't get enough of it. I think it's so great. But um, you said that it's uh, you you decided on this idea because teen suicide rates in Utah are just astronomical. And I kind of want to touch on why why we think yeah, that is. So, like I said, I think it's the identity thing. I think every issue comes back to your identity, knowing who you are. 
But um, I honestly, most of it, I believe, is from the shame culture here because I have had friends whose sons have pornography problems and want to commit suicide because they can't handle the shame that they think they'll face from admitting it. And I, I, it breaks my heart because they're the most beautiful children. And if they only knew that 99% of the population struggles with the same thing, you know, that I just, I, I just feel like the shame culture is so hard here. Yeah. And and even if, um, let's just presume for a second that something is a terrible thing to get, um, associated with or addicted to or something, then just calling that person a bad name or, uh, expelling them from the household or, you know, just shaming them in general doesn't seem like a very productive way to um, uh, remedy the uh, the issue that seemingly is arbitrary in the first place. If, if like you said, everybody's doing it anyway, um, you know. Yeah, but, it's definitely um, not a Christian thing to do. Like, I always get confused about when people decided they were God and got to judge. <laughs> so like our only yeah. job in this life is to learn how to love like him. And that's the last thing he would do is to shame someone. He never shamed anyone. And so I just, yeah, I think it's that culture that we've gotten sucked into. That's not okay. Yeah. I And I had heard about this, um, the every teen scene, event that I went to, I heard about that. I've been trying to do work within circle this. Um, it's a group that, um, helps people that helps teens that are kicked out of their homes or, or just are still living at home, but hate their home, like a, a place of refuge. They can come and get a meal and stay. Um, and I just heard about it through trying to work with, with these guys. And, um, yeah. And I, and one of the things that, uh, kind of is presented to me sometimes is this, this culture, like you said, the shaming culture, but uh, it's all done in the name of, of religion or God where, you know, you're, you're not doing things the way that, that God said to do them. So now I'm kicking you out of our home. You have no place to stay. And the reason I'm doing that is because your worth as a human being to me is just gone so low that I don't even, um, so that just that just breaks my heart to even say that out loud and I can't even imagine hearing that from my family as as a child my family was really staunch LDS and I just can't even imagine them doing that and here we have this huge problem where where the kids feel like they have so few options that they're taking their lives and and the most recent statistics I heard was like four times yeah. the national average um, yeah it's heartbreaking because the reason they're taking a life is not even what's it's not even a cause of truth like it's just um a place for fear that people are operating in instead of love and um i don't know if you guys i'm sure you know of imagine dragons and they're doing their love loud thing but i think they're the ones that are working with in circle right now because a lot of their um siblings who are gay have committed suicide because of that shame culture that's going on right now and i just wish with all my heart i always try to make people think of it in perspective um, cause I don't understand the other side, but like, think of it as if your child, like if your child was this, how could you possibly not show them love? Or I don't know, I'm just thinking of how, if God were here, how he would treat them. Or if it was you, if you were struggling with this, how would you want someone to treat you? <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really hard to put myself in the situation cause I'm super biased, but I think that, um, most of these these situations are coming from a place of 
what they perceive to be love. I think, I think that their um, best way to show their love is to, to say, you know, you're doing something wrong. You can't live in my roof. You can't live under my roof. If you're going to behave this way, I want you to be the son or daughter that I taught you to be. And then you can come back or, or, regardless of it's like that or, or more loving sounding, I can't even imagine it. But um, I think in their hearts, they're trying to show love the best way they can because they're thinking that that's how God is governing his house. You know, no unclean thing can dwell in my presence. And um, since the November policy, we've, we've been taught that uh, like stuff like homosexual relations is on par with like um, forcible rape and murder and now somebody's got like some homosexual tendencies. Now they're so unclean that they, they've got to be left out of the house. And anyway, just I'm super triggered by this stuff because it's so emotional for me. But um, I did. I went to Love Loud. Uh, I think it was last weekend, and it was so powerful to hear. Uh, we got to listen to kids from In Circle singing "This Is Me" from from. Um, Greatest Showman, yeah, the Greatest Showman musical that was super powerful. And um, one thing that hit really hard for me is Ryan, or, uh, Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons got up and he said, "You know, I'm fighting to save lives here, but I don't want anybody to think that I'm fighting out of aggression or hate. I'm fighting for love, and I want to love loud. And um, I think a lot of times we we might point fingers and say like, well, you know, it's great that we're creating movements like every teen scene, but the real problem here is the church and God and everything in it. So we need to just tear that down. Um, but I really appreciated Dan, Dan Reynolds's thought. And I, I think that it, there is a better way than, uh, you know, pointing fingers at everybody and saying, no, if you just quit doing the way you're doing it, um, then it, it'll be better. But maybe if we just give them a place like, like you're doing and saying, yeah, no, we're just loving everybody. Seriously, if that's our only role is just to love, to show people what God looks like in human form. I always tell people, I'm like, you are showing me what God looks like in human form if he were here. And that's the most beautiful gift anyone can offer. And I do know, cause I met um, the love or the Imagine Dragon group. And um, I talked with the, um, a few of their um, leaders or whatever you call them, <laughs> but they were saying how Dan had, was pushing this and the church actually wrote him a letter in full support of what they were doing. And I love that. I was like, there doesn't need to be all this aggression and hatred. It is literally, we're just supporting each other and um, just loving more. So. Um, I yeah. that um, I could be wrong, but the, uh, they, they released a documentary or a, uh, I, I'm going to call it a documentary about, the making of love loud and it's called believer. It was released in Sundance last year. And I went to that and um, they read that letter that yeah. I think it's the letter you're referring to. They were trying um, neon trees and imagine dragons had both sold out USANA like recently before. And now they're putting on this love loud concert and they can't sell tickets. And they thought it was because the church would frown upon, you know, having, an event supporting, you know, homosexuals in, in the Valley. And, um, so they asked for a statement and they, they begged for a statement and the church did 
released a statement to Dan Reynolds saying, you know, we, we really appreciate the conversation and we think the conversation needs to yeah. be spread or something along those lines, like you said. And, um, yeah. and then they sold out and <laughs> they sold out love. Lab. And so I thought that was pretty fascinating. And, um, as much as I love that the church finally said, you know, yeah, they're, you know, we'll support this. Um, I wish that people would govern themselves the way that we were talking about earlier. Like, and Gordon B. Hinckley said to his nephew, like, Hey, this, this is your decision. You know, you don't need our permission to, to go support your gay brothers and sisters or, or I made a logical leap earlier about just lumping in gays to this situation. But I, even though I do think that's a major issue, but any, any loved one or person, a human being that's suffering, you don't need our permission to go love them. (laughs) You can go love them on your own and, and we'll teach you correct principles and you can govern yourself. Uh, yeah, thanks for saying that. That's so needed. Anyway, like, people need to hear that. Like, we don't need to be governed in every little thing. Like, I don't. God isn't like, okay, do this, do this. Like, you, He trusts us enough to make a loving decision by ourselves. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's been really interesting too, um, visiting all these different religions, um, because watching one of one of the most impactful moments was at the Buddhist temple I went to, and the entire time was spent on talking like each person would raise their hand and say what they suffered through, through the week. And it was so touching. And at the end we prayed for at the time it was the shooting in Texas we were praying for, but just that the suffering could end and we could just all encircle in love without trying to change each other or make everyone agree with you. It was just simple. Like, can we just show love, whatever it looks like. Do you still go on these, um, these tours of different religions do. is that I something go you do every week or what often as I can. Okay. So, um, right now I think I've done about 10 blogs, um, which are still to be released, but I've gone to Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikh and people actually, there's a group that I'm, my next blog is going to be about is a group that left the LDS church and started their own thing. And they, it's amazing because I never go in, I'm not judgmental of anyone. Um, and I always express that I'm there just to learn about how they love God. And I've, because I'm in that mindset, I've seen the most beautiful people and it's always a space of love. Like they never try to change me and my beliefs and I never try to change them. It's just a space of understanding and like lifelong beautiful relationships happen when that occurs. And like I said, I've learned things from them that I never would have learned. And I've learned how we're all wanting the same thing. We all want love. We all want peace and we're all teaching grace. We're all teaching like there's, I can't even tell you, like, it's so crazy how like there's symbols in the temple that I've seen in every single religion. And I, I'm shocked. Like I had no idea, (laughs) but it's beautiful. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that you do that. I, I, when I started my faith journey about 12 years ago, I started going to different religions and my goal was to do one month um, per religion. And, and, uh, I did the Sikh temple at, at the time it was clear out South and now there's several closer, but, um, I did the Buddhist temple. I did some Scientology was probably my favorite, but, um, Jehovah's witnesses. And one thing I got from it is I learned a lot about Mormonism because I would meet, mm-hmm. like you said, people that used to be Mormon. And one, one guy in the Presbyterian, uh, church gave me the insider's guide to Mormonism, an insider's view of Mormonism by Grant Palmer. At the time, I was like, uh-oh, this has got to be anti-Mormon, you know, 
propaganda, but uh, it was just funny that I learned so much about okay. their religion and my own religion just by going yeah, I outside of my bubble. Well, you'll have to let me know when you go next yeah, time because I, I would love to do that again. Yeah, you definitely learn more about who God is by experiencing how other people experience him. So it's really I love that. Um, so Kendra, is there anything else, any way that our listeners can maybe support you or is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with um, before we know, let you go? I, like I said, I always, this is the one question I always ask myself before I respond to any situation, um, is am I choosing love or fear? And once people can be conscious of that and sincerely ask themselves, um, your life changes. And I feel like if we could all, if we all did that, I think there'd be so much more love in the world. And that's all I really hope. Like, I always feel like I'm such a pageant queen when I say that, like, just, I would want world peace. <laughs> like, I, really, <laughs> I really just feel like love is the answer. And I, I, my goal, um, so I'm like a super hippie now I do meditations and grounding and all this stuff. I visit all these different religions. And my one thing is I just want to show one person what God looks like. And because that's the gift I've been given so many times. And so, yeah, if there's anyone who wants to know what God looks like, like, please send them to me because I want to show them. And I, that was a gift. One of my friends Violet gave to me is pure, unconditional love. And I have to tell you real quick. So I, I've never experienced that kind of love. And I was really struggling one night and my friend, she's super hippie. And she came over to me and she was like, do you mind if I touch your heart? And I was like, sure. <laughs> like, um, but yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so she just placed her <laughs> hand um, on my heart and we just connected. And for the next 20 minutes, we spoke no words. And it was amazing how I didn't even have to say what I was going through. I would just bawl and she would cry with me and I would start giggling and she'd giggle with me and we just sat there in complete peace. And at the end I was like, that is what it's supposed to feel like. Just all the suffering we feel, all the emotions we feel like just being loved as we are for all of our humanness and our <laughs> weaknesses and our struggles um, and then coming out in the end, being connected with someone who shows you what God would do if he were with you. You know, I, I really feel like um, with one, and my struggles, that's what he does with me. He just loves me as I'm going through it um, because I'm learning. So, yeah, that's what I ask is if there's any like if anyone's hurting or um needs love or wants to be shown what looks like I just I have a whole group of friends that are willing to show you so but yeah and and sometimes that includes just sticking your hand on your heart for 20 minutes but it can be other things too like roller skating (laughs) exactly it can be just having a conversation you know yeah and if somebody is struggling or just wants to reach out to you where can they find you I if it's if you want to reach out to me privately you can find me on Facebook and just instant message me I get that a lot um, and that's probably the best way, the quickest way. Um, I do have an email. It's kindred.cower at Gmail, um, for other, I've had those too. So, but either way, um, just here to connect and help, especially if you're at a space of suicide, like I, I want you to know like that you have a purpose and you are loved and coming from that experience. I know it's not believable, <laughs> but, um, like if that's the, just the word you need to hear, just know that 
it's true and yeah so but thank you Blake for giving this opportunity because I uh, yeah I just am grateful well, thank you. It's not every day I get to talk to a pageant queen here. I know, and you can't um, even see me. I'm all dressed up in my crown and my sash. So <laughs> my nails are painted. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, we were going to maybe record this episode, and uh, now we're not recording it. So for listeners at home, you're going to be super disappointed. Uh, no, uh, I love what you're doing. I love this group. Thank I was you. reading some of the posts and stuff and I just saw so much brokenness and pain and I was like oh I just love them all they're so like they, everyone just needs to be a little loved <laughs> yeah perfect well thank you so much again Kendra we just loved having you on here let's go in the garden you'll find something waiting right there where you left it lying upside on the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. Intro and outro theme for this podcast is Everything Stays, a Rebecca Sugar cover by Bly Wallentine. You can find more of Bly's music at blywallentine.com. Everything stays right where you left it.